ignite your passion for God and for His work. Listen to Bishop Edwin Morgan Ogo, the resident pastor of the Lighthouse Chapel International, Oyibi Cathedral. He comes your way on this podcast with the creative force of God's Word. Bishop Ogo also pastors the Flaming Fire Service, a vibrant youth service with energetic young people who are ablaze for the Lord. He is also the evangelist of the Greater Love Gospel Crusade, a unique outreach program that ministers the soul-saving love of Jesus Christ to a hurting world through music, dance, and the life-giving Word of God. Now, listen to Bishop Edwin Ogo. Hallelujah, what a blessing to come your way today. It's, it's, a, it's a privilege for me to be a part of this conference. And I want to thank Pastor Zach and your wonderful wife. Mommy, God bless you for the honor and the privilege to be a part of the Word Alive family and speak at this conference. It is a wonderful privilege I don't take lightly at all. And I want you to know that every opportunity to come around is a great blessing and I know that it makes me a better person, a better pastor. And the Bible says, your own father's friend, you must forsake not. Yes, your, your father and your father's friends, you must not forsake. So, I'm happy to have this relationship with my father's friend. And it's a great blessing for me. Let's bow down our heads and share a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for today. We are grateful for the opportunity to come your way and to... To, to ask you for the grace and the strength and the ability to minister to your people. It's your anointing upon us that makes this possible. And today I pray that this opportunity I have and the grace I have received from you will cause the words that come from my mouth and the meditation of my heart to be acceptable to you and to be a blessing to your people who are in this conference. I thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. What a blessing. And uh, today, I'm still staying on. Obviously, we have a theme we are talking about and the theme is becoming a thousand times more. A thousand times more. And uh, I believe that this burden on Pastor Zach's heart will be translated into a similar burden on the heart of every pastor and every leader in the word alive family. And uh, today, I want to share with you some bits and pieces which I believe will be a blessing to you. Um, In this book, The Mega Church, you see, becoming a thousand times more is really becoming a mega church. That is really what is happening. A thousand times more than we are now is going to be a very, very large family, a very, very large church 
And I couldn't find a better book to speak from than this book, which is going to lead me in this session and hopefully my next session by the grace of God to another book which I believe will also um, present many tools of wisdom and guidance for ministry in these times. Now, in the last chapter of this book, The Mega Church, Bishop Dagwood Mills talks about principles for church growth. Principles for church growth. And I believe that there will be the principles we will have to follow if we are going to become a thousand times more. And I, I want to say at this time before I even go on that, I mean, sometimes when someone is speaking, you must ask yourself, what right does a person have to say what he's saying? I mean, what has a person achieved? And I want to say that the writer of this book, The Mega Church, who is giving us these principles, who is sharing these principles with us, has truly built a mega church. He started a church, a very small church, a few members in their teens, mostly secondary school students. And over the years, these are the principles he has used to build a united denominations of over 6,000 churches in 94 countries of the world. 94 countries of the world. There is hardly anything that originated from an African country, originated from an African country that is found in 94 countries. So I want to say that the principles I'm going to share with you this morning are time-tested. The principles I'm sharing with you have, have been proven to work. They have been used to build mega churches in the United Denominations by anointed pastors, anointed bishops, and I believe will also be the same for you. So, there are a couple of principles for church growth that are in this last chapter of the mega church. But I wanted to stay on the first principle. Just the first principle. You see, because there is a scripture I need to ask you to please turn with me to read. And that is in Second Chronicles, chapter 26, verse number 15. I want to read this verse and use it as a launching pad to the principle I am going to talk about in this book, which will lead me to other things. The Bible talking about King Uzziah said he made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men 
to be on the towers and upon the bulwarks to shoot arrows and great stones withal. And his name spread far abroad for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. He was marvelously helped till he was strong. So you see a king called King Uzziah. His name spreads far abroad. He invents engines, does mighty works, and the Bible points out the basis for his exploits. And it is nothing else but men and women who helped him. People who helped him. Who invented engines in his name. And the King James Bible says, and this name, his name, spread far abroad. Why? For he was marvelously held. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no man on earth who has achieved anything substantial alone. None. There's no man. If you go down memory lane to history, the great men who have dotted the landscape of life and made great names for themselves, were helped, were helped. There is none, there is no man who is capable of doing anything great. The Bible says that every man at his best, every man in his best state, best state, it's altogether vanity. Every man in his best state. Our best state is vanity. Another word for vanity is useless. We can't do much on our own. No man, we cannot build a church that is a thousand times more with just one man, one pastor, no. So I'm therefore not surprised that in the mega church, that is the makings of a big church, Bishop Dagwood Mills releases great principles that will help any pastor. And amazingly, the first principle he presents is the principle of the multiplied senior pastor. The principle of the multiplied senior pastor. And with your permission, or without your permission, <laughs> with or without it, I would like to read a few things he has put down here. For your admonition, 
for your instruction and for your benefit and blessing. He said, I have discovered that if you could multiply the senior pastor by 12, it would mean that you had 12 pastors at work. Logically, you could do 12 times as much work. I taught my assistant pastors to do whatever I do. If I meet people after church, they should also meet people after church. If I'm able to counsel 10 people and 12 other pastors are able to counsel 10 people, that makes 120 people who are being attended to. Beautiful. There are some churches I continue to read in which the senior pastor is a superman. He's the only one who does anything important. And that is a sure recipe to keep your church small. Why? Because no man can do much. Show me a great man and I'll point to you that he's a man who is being helped. Mention a pastor who has built a great church of tens of thousands of members. And I'll tell you, without knowing him, without knowing his name, without knowing his gender, without knowing where he was raised, without knowing which school he attended, I will tell you that he's been held. None, no man, no man. No man is capable of achieving anything great. No man. So if we are going to build a great church, we must humble ourselves. The way Christ Jesus humbled himself in Philippians 2 and took upon himself the form of a servant. And in that humility, he mobilized at least, we know, 12 men who stood by him. But later on in the ministry, we're reading about 70 disciples and hundreds of disciples. Why? Because a mere mortal man cannot achieve a thousand times more alone. And I'm speaking now to branch pastors of Word Alive. I'm speaking at this time to leaders and shepherds of Word Alive that if I scale down the argument and bring it to your level and bring it to your branch, you also cannot achieve much alone. You can't. So those who accept this early in life learn how to garner and gather and mobilize help. For there is no man capable of great achievement alone. Being a superman in your branch church, being a superman in that region of yours, being a superman in that zone of yours, 
only prepares you to do something very little. And over 98% of churches in the world are small churches. Teeny bits and pieces of congregations. Few churches in this world have crossed even 1,000. Few churches in this world. But I remember Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 60. That a little one shall become a thousand. So the smallest church and the smallest branch has the inherent capacity, the latent capacity of becoming a large church. Now, the key to this is the key of the multiplied senior pastor, the multiplied leader, the multiplied leader of the fellowship. Anyone who has something big in mind. Now, now by the way, I, I, uh, you know, the, the first chapter of this book, the mega church, deals with 25 reasons why you must have a mega church. 25 reasons why you must be a thousand times more. Beautiful teachings there. And I will guide you, guide you to this book and just get the first chapter. It will help you. You will learn that you must have a mega church because that is the most appropriate vision and goal for a pastor. There's no better vision for a pastor than the vision to build a big church. I mean, what other vision do you want to have? To dress well? To drive big cars? I don't know what, a, what, what other vision a pastor will have. To speak with American slangs? It only makes you an object of ridicule. What do you want to do? You're a pastor. What do you want to do? I mean, what, what vision do you want to have apart from the vision of building something great? What other vision? Since you must have a mega church or you must become a thousand times more because the desire for a mega church will lead you on a journey that will make your church grow. Many pastors are on many journeys most of which are useless journeys. Wanting to be known by politicians, wanting to be on social media, posting things, having colorful flyers and banners. When you enter the church, just a measly collection of human souls. But there is a journey that is an amazing journey that every pastor called by God ought to walk on. Ladies and gentlemen, for God so loved the world. God did not just love your family. God did not just love a few people. God did not just love, love some, 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 some selected members of a tribe. God so loved the world, the world, the world. So there's a journey and that's the journey I'm taking you on today. Whatever you are, whether you are the leader of a choir, you know, a choir becoming big is part of the picture of being a thousand times more. If ashes will become 100 in the church, imagine, 100 ashes means that we have, we have, we, we, we've gone a long way. Many churches are not 100 on a Sunday morning. Churches. If a leader of a choir 
has a vision to build a thousand member choir or different choirs in the same church, that will add to the growth of the church. Therefore, ladies and gentlemen, every single entity in the church ought to have this vision of a thousand times more. It's not just the vision of the head pastor. It's not just the vision of the man of God. Every single pastor, every single leader, every single steward in the church ought to have the burden that what we are doing cannot remain little. And it will lead you on a journey. Number three. Number three. Third reason why you must have a mega church. says you must have a mega church because the prophetic destiny of every church that the Lord builds is to have a greater end than the beginning. Your beginning may be small, but the prophetic destiny, according to Job 8 and verse 7, is that though your beginning may be small, your latter end should, that's not automatic, it should greatly increase. That is why whatever you are doing as a pastor, ought to see growth. Your branch must grow. Your group must grow. Your fellowship must grow. It must grow. A thousand times more means that you are growing. You are becoming bigger. You are becoming larger. The Bible says that they go from strength to strength. All those who come to God in Zion, Psalm 84 and 7, they go from strength to strength. Proverbs 4.18 says, the path of the just is as the shining light. It shines more and more and more and more. There is no provision in the word of God that allows you to remain little. You may start small. Indeed, you must start small. But there's no biblical provision that allows you to stagnate within smallness. There's none. There's none. So if you have the spirit of God in you, you should be listening to me very carefully. That there is nothing that allows you. You ought to stand on your feet and find out what, is the, what are the necessary tools for me to go on from strength to strength. Number four. You must have a mega church because most pastors are deceived into thinking that the work is being done. When it is not being done. The work is not being done. Why do we know the work is not being done? Step out of your fellowship meeting. Step out of your branch on Sunday. And see the masses of people who don't even have either church or God on their minds. If you care, get the population of your town or your city. And find out how many churches are there and what, what the population of the churches are. Find out, you will discover that over 90% of the people in your town don't care about God. The work has not been done. Lift up your eyes and see the fields. They are white. They are white. Yet still, you find shepherds and leaders and pastors who relax and who have the disposition that the work is done. Full-time pastors will not concentrate on the work. 
and will now become businessmen and CEOs of other things. And they have scriptures to, to back it. And the church, which is their primary vision, which is God's primary vision for the Son of Man, came to seek and to save that which was lost. He did not come to seek and to enrich that which was lost. He didn't come to seek and to marry those who were lost. He didn't come to seek and to educate those who were lost. All these things are necessary. But if you are genuinely following the heart and mind of Christ, please don't fight me. Remember Luke 19.10, the son of man came not to make us rich. At the base of every human problem is a problem of sin. If you can deal with the sin issue, you have dealt with man's problems. People get born again and just by stopping certain lifestyles, they become rich. They become healthy, just healthy. I'm not against education. I'm not against building hospitals. I'm not against building schools. But the main thing is the main thing, ladies and gentlemen. The soul of a man is a primary thing. And that's why the son of man did not come to do any other thing but to seek and to save. And I'm saying that we may have a country filled with educated men, rich men, prosperous men. But once the soul is not saved, the work is not done. The work is not done. The work is not done. Piling degrees on yourself and having nothing to show for it in terms of salvation of souls for God's soul. You know, your modernization of Christianity, your modernization of scriptures can never absolve you of the responsibility to ensure the salvation of the soul. The soul, the soul, the soul, the soul. We are not an employment agency. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not be poor but have all the money in, in town. Is that what the Bible says? That whosoever believeth in him should not be an illiterate but have a PhD and three masses. No. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The salvation of the soul ought to be on the mind of every pastor. And this book, Bishop Dagwood Mills, is teaching us. And I am teaching you from this book that the work is not done. The work is not done. The work is not done. We have failed the world as a church. I read again. You must have a mega church because many pastors are deceived into thinking that the work is being done when it's not being done. I'm just reading the I'm not really teaching from this book. This is, another, this is not what I came to talk about. I'm just enjoying myself here. Just giving you some points. Why a thousand times more should be on your mind? Because if you don't think a thousand times more 
and your mind is in some single digate membership, some teens membership, some 20s and 30s, you, 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 you failed God because the masses are out there. The masses are out there. So a thousand times more could not be a, there could not be a more appropriate vision for a church. Because within the vision of a thousand times more, will have salvation, establishment, deliverance, guidance, and everything you will need to do, to, to do for, for, for a believer a thousand times more. And the work has not been done. The work has not been done. Are, are you with me? Are, are you here in the conference? Right. Beautiful. Number five. You need to have a mega church or you need to be a thousand times more because God's will is that his house may be filled. Most churches are not filled because they are not mega churches. You know, the concept of having a thousand times more members is not to, it's not to feed the ego of a pastor. No, it's not to feed, like, uh, to make a pastor feel big. That he has a big church. No, no. Rather, it's a, if you have a lot of people, you are pastoring, it will humble you. It will rather humble you. We are not building big churches to feed our egos. But the grace of God, some of us have got better things we could feed our egos with. <laughs> not, 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 not thousands of ungrateful members. Not thousands of people who never see, who never believe in, who, who, who sit on pews insulting the pastor and not even loving and appreciating the, the effort being made by the pastor. No, no, we have better ideas to, 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 to boost our ego. But the, 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 the mandate of God is one. And the mandate is that we must go, we must go, we must go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's why we stand where we are standing. So if you are a part of this work in Word Alive, I want to tell you there is something called the house of God being filled. And putting 10 chairs in your church and filling the 10 churches does not mean that you have finished the work. Pack more chairs. Pack more chairs. If the chairs get filled, start another meeting and on and on and on till the last soul hears about Christ and is established in the kingdom of God that my house may be filled. That my house. I'm not, I'm not teaching this per se. There are, there are scriptures I could use, but just get the book. I just want to just go through a few reasons why that vision is the best vision. The vision Pastor Zach has given us is the best vision. It's the best vision. We are a church. Our primary role is not to raise leaders to, to, to fill parliaments. Our primary role is not to raise leaders to, to, to head universities. Praise God if our members will become parliamentarians, will become senators, assemblymen. Why not? I would love to see my, my, my member as a president of Ghana. 
I'd like to see my member as a governor of the Bank of Ghana. Why not? Why, why not? What, what's wrong with it? There's nothing wrong with it. But you need to know your primary mandate. We are a church and we are not a secular organization. We are a church. We are not an NGO. We are a church bought and washed by the blood of Jesus. Don't change it, pastor. Don't change it. Don't change it. Don't change the plan of God. God's plan is for the souls of men. He knows what he's doing. You are not too intelligent. You are not more intelligent than God. Don't change God's vision. Don't change God's plan. You will live to regret it. Don't change it. Don't change it. His mind is on the souls. His mind is on souls. His mind that the souls must be saved. Souls must be saved. That's his mind. Along the way, you may need to feed people to get them saved. I know it. Along the way, you may need to clothe people to get them into the church. Along the way, some may need to have jobs to even remain in the church. But we are not an employment agency. Get it right. Don't confuse yourself. Don't allow evil spirits to take over your mind. You know, you're not the first to come around. You are not the first to come around. <laughs> Don't think you are the first. You know, sometimes we feel so great and we feel that, oh, we are, the, we are the latest and the best to be in town. Greater than you have walked this earth. Keep quiet. The mandate of the church is to preach the gospel, to save souls, and to make sure they are heaven bound. That's God's heart. He loved the world. He loved the world. Isn't it wonderful that today, pastors love the world more than God? Pastors love church members more than God. We want to give them jobs. That's what God, he doesn't care about their jobs. We are the ones who, we are the ones who care more about them. To make sure they are married. To set aside salvation. One pastor said, what is the use of preaching about the blood of Jesus to frighten people? What's the use? I won't tell you where he is now. We must not change God's vision. We must not change God's plan. Are you here? Are you here? The place is quiet. The conference is quiet. <laughs> you must have a mega church because your harvest field is the world. The world is the harvest field. You don't gather a few people and think that you have done much. You know? <laughs> I... I, 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 I I would like to read a scripture from Judges. So, Judges, Judges 18, verse 18. I mean, this is just something, something a group of men told a pastor. A group of men told a pastor this. And I think that every pastor should also hear what they, what they told him. The pastor, you know, they came, they were collecting some things from a house. And then, and then a, a, a young Levite a young pastor, church worker, met them who had been employed. This young man had been employed by a man to be his priest. <laughs> he had been employed by a man to be his priest. And then as, as the, some people had invaded the town and were taking things from the house, 
this young man, Pastor Levi, who had been employed to be a, 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 a pastor, somebody's household pastor, approached and said, what are you doing? So I'm, I'm going to verse 18. says, what are you doing? The young priest demanded when he saw them carrying the things out. I'm reading from Judges 18, 18, the living Bible. The living Bible. The living Bible. What are you doing? The young priest demanded when he saw them carrying them out. Verse 19. Be quiet and come with us. <laughs> they said. The men who had come to ransack the house. They said, shut up and come with us. Be a priest to all of us. <laughs> Be a priest to all of us. Isn't it better for you to be a priest to a whole tribe in Israel instead of just to one man in his private home? In his private home. (laughs) Isn't it better for you to be a priest to a whole tribe in Israel instead of just to one man in his private home? Many of us are pastors of some, 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 some private home pastors. Pastoring some, some families because of some money you can get, some car you can get, some, 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 some emolument you can get from them. Isn't it better to be a pastor of a large church than to be a pastor of a little church in a corner and call it a family church? I read again. In fact, maybe I should a new living translation also. Let's see what they were saying. Verse 18. When the priest saw the men carrying all the sacred objects out of Micah's shrine, he said, what are you doing? Verse 19. New Living Translation. Be quiet and come with us, they said. Be a father and a priest to all of us. Be a father and a priest to all of us. The people in your town are begging you to be a father and a priest to all of them. The people in your community, the people in your village, the people in your city, they are begging you. They are not saying it, but they wish that you would come to them and make them also your church members. Be a father and a priest to all of us. He said, isn't it better to be a priest for an entire tribe and clan of Israel than for the household of just one man? Ah. Does this not sound familiar? Many of us are just shepherds of a household. Shepherds of some few measly, measly, sickly looking members. And these guys, they were asking that, we also need you. We also need you to be a pastor of our life. We also need, we, we also like to be pastored. That step out of this one man family thing that they are being, you are being paid to be a private pastor. <laughs> you are being paid to be a private pastor. What are you talking about? Why do you allow a family to hijack your ministry? And you are in the house eating, drinking three times a day. And they call you to just share communion and lay hands on the children when they are going to school. And lay hands on them when they are going to sleep. Is that your mandate? Is that why Christ died for you? Is that why you were called? Is that why God sent you? Is that why he sent his son to die for you? What are you doing? What are you doing? The harvest field is, is bigger than that little church. Oh. Beautiful. I'm having a good time. I mean, I didn't, I didn't even come to share this, but I, I, I'm, 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 sh- I'm showing you that our vision of a thousand times more is not inappropriate. It's not misapplied. It's not. It's only a lazy pastor who wouldn't want to have this vision because it is a vision that will let you work. Oh, yes. It will let you work. And many of us are not prepared to work. 
You must have a mega church because the biblical example of churches had thousands of members. If you read the Bible, if you read, when we say church, church, really, I think we should just relax and understand. When we say church, it began in the book of Acts. The church, apart from the people of Israel, leaving Egypt, passing through the Red Sea, and Paul calling them the church in the wilderness, the real church, earthly church, the church, the ecclesia, the church, began in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, they were not counted in hundreds and tens. No. They were counted in thousands. Three thousand. Five thousand. So, so, in the game of church work, if church work was a game, the numbers that are acceptable would be thousands. You know, every game has its numbers. Every game. If you play basketball, maybe 95, 102. 110, 120. That's basketball. If you play football, 2 nil. 3-2. Ghana was called 6 nil in Bochum, Germany. It made world news. It's called the Bochum disaster. 6 nil. It's on, it's, it's, it's on a, one, one, one team played, and uh, I think the score was uh, 15 nil or so. The manager of the team was arrested. <laughs> yes, he was arrested because <laughs> every game has its numbers. You don't score 15 nil in football. You score 15 nil in basketball. I don't know about uh, cricket and all those things. If you are playing a particular game, there are numbers associated. Now, in the, in, in, in the game of church work, if church work was a game, you'll be arrested for having 10 members. You'll be arrested for having 100 members. Yes, because the original church was, was counted in thousands. So what we are doing, this ministry of 50 members, 100 members, Jesus Christ said, in the beginning, it was not so. When the church began in the book of Acts, even remember 2,000 years ago, you can imagine the population of the world at that time. The population of the world at that time. And in the days of Acts, there were other sects. There were other sects. There were false religions. There were other sects. Christianity was just one. In fact, the Jewish uh, uh, um, world was there. And then also we had the Christians. Christians called the way. The way. The people of the way. And they were counted in thousands. Let's get it right. This business of thinking you have arrived just because you have three members... 15 members, 60 members, 20 members. It's a wrong vision. Let's go on and on and on and spend our lives believing God to approximate the thousands. And I'll say again what the young man told the private pastor. He said, come, follow us and let's go. We also want you to be a pastor to us. 
Isn't it better that you are a pastor to a whole tribe of Israel than for a man and his wife and his three children? Is that, is that what your calling is? The conference is very quiet. I don't understand why the place is quiet. Number eight. You must have a mega church because having a large church means that more souls have been won to the kingdom. That is it. That's it. That's the point in all my teachings. I mean, having a big church only means that more souls have been won or more souls have been have been posted towards the cross. More people attending church means that more people are, are, are primed to receive Christ. For them to even come to church means that they are ready to be worked on. And on and on and on. There are 25 reasons. I just wanted to just read them just to, you know, let you understand that it's an important thing. I think I would like to go over the points I've, I've read again. It's, it's important. Number one, you must have a mega church because the prophetic destiny of every church. Oh, sorry. Let, let me start. Sorry. sorry. You, you must desire to have a mega church or a thousand times more church because that is the most appropriate vision for every pastor, every leader, every shepherd. Number two, you must desire to have a mega church because the desire for a mega church will lead you on a journey that will make your church grow. Oh, yes. I can assure you that you won't have time for a lot of things you have time for now. You, you won't have time for a lot of things. If you concentrate on the church, if your mind is on your fellowship, if your mind is on your home cell, if your mind is on that little group, if your mind is on the choir, you want to build a big choir, oh, you won't have time for a lot of things. You must have a mega church or a church which is a thousand times more because the prophetic destiny of every church that the Lord builds is to have a greater end than its beginning. Number four, you must have a mega church because most pastors are deceived into thinking that the work is being done when it's not being done. Number five, you must have a mega church because God's will is that his house may be filled. Most churches are not filled. My church I'm pastoring is not filled. There are empty chairs. So I have very little time for things. I, my mind is on how to fill those chairs. I'm surprised you have time. And the chairs are not some... 1,000 chairs, thousands of chairs we have to fill per service. Hmm. You must have a mega church because your harvest field is the world. You must have a mega church because the biblical example of churches had thousands of members. You must have a mega church because having a large church means that more souls have been won to the kingdom. You must have a mega church because it's a, in a mega church, more workers and laborers are released to work for God. You have more people working for God. And on and on. 
I would like you to get the book. And that's not what I'm teaching this morning. This morning, I'm talking about being a multiplied senior pastor. A multiplied senior pastor. And I'm going back to the point I was making. I was reading that there are some churches in which the senior pastor is a superman. Obviously, it must be a small church without workers. He's the only one who does anything important. And that is a sure recipe to keep your church small. One person can only attend to a certain number of people. How much can one man do? If you try to visit, counsel, and help everybody, you will go crazy. You will lose your mind, literally, from trying to help everyone. You can't. There is a limit to what you can do. That is why I have many branches and many pastors, says Bishop Dagwood Mills. I believe that many of the people I preach to can also preach. Beautiful point. I believe that many of the people who are receiving the word now are capable of rising up into the ministry. And that is what a pastor must believe. If we are going to be a thousand times more, then it means that many of us must believe Pastors must believe that you are not the only one who can do what you are doing. I mean, that is the, that is the foundational mindset a pastor must have. That others can do what you are doing. And maybe even better. I go on. I'm reading. Do not be an insecure pastor. Don't be an insecure senior pastor. Don't be afraid to trust people. It is true that many people will betray you. It is true that many people will betray your trust. But if you live in fear, Satan will have access to your life and ministry. He says, I have been hurt by some people. I have also been hurt by many people. People I never believed even in a thousand years would hurt me. But I've been hurt. What do you do? You move on. I've been hurt by many people. But I've decided to still trust others to help me. Why? Because you can't work alone. Satan cannot use bad experiences, offenses, and all these things to, to, to keep you in a bubble. To keep you in a cocoon. No. You will know, no matter how many people are, are betraying you, are treacherous, are, are disloyal, are, 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 are breaking your heart, you still must reach out to more. Because your, your mission and your vision is still counting down till your last, last day. Said, so I've been hurt by some people. But I've decided to still trust others to help me. If they betray me one day, I will take it in stride and keep on trusting some others. Beautiful. One of the reasons why some people cannot trust is because they do not believe that people can do a good enough job. They don't believe it. A lot of pastors believe that they are the only 
anointed ones. That they're the only ones who can do what they are doing. That nobody can do what they are doing. But they forget that some time ago, they were also sitting down in a church. Till God picked them. Till somebody gave them the opportunity. But when they come to stand behind the pulpit, they feel that the church members are imbeciles. Without a mind. Incapable of doing anything for themselves. Let alone for others. And that is a sure recipe for smallness. A sure recipe for an ever decreasing church till it turns towards zero. In the medical field, Young doctors are being trained all the time. Some people are always attended to by inexperienced student doctors under supervision. But as the young doctors are allowed to have a goal, they learn and soon they are just as good, if not better, than the professors. Beautiful. It's the same thing in the ministry, my dear friends. People must be trusted with responsibilities. People must be trusted to work for God, to play roles in the church. That one man thousand pastor, you can't do much. And this simple, this, this fact, let me not call it simple, this fact is outside the reach of many minds that you need to have helpers. You need to have helpers. People must be trusted with responsibilities under supervision. They must be allowed to do important things. And in all the book, this is a part uh, Bishop has highlighted in bold print. They must be allowed to do important things. Let us allow our members to do important things. They may fail. They may not do it well. But just as you also were given time, you also got to give them time for them to rise and do well. They must be allowed to do important things. One pastor sent me a message recently and he reminded me how I gave him my pulpit about 25 years ago. Yes. I gave him my pulpit to preach, to learn, to do ministry. And today, he's a reverend minister. Today, they are bishops. That is how we, 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 we leave a legacy. You can't be a one-man thousand. You can't be a one-person do-it-all. You can't be a jack-of-all-trades and a master of none. We need to have masters, Paul said, if anyone will strive for masteries. We need masters at preaching, masters at singing, masters at ushering, masters at doing sound, masters at uh, 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 um, filming with video, masters at, at playing instrument. You can't do it all. When I, be, when I was a pastor, I, I mean, a young pastor, I, I was pastoring a little church, some 15 people, for a long time, I was the one playing the congas. I don't know if you know what the, the conga, a conga. It's a type of drum, quite, I won't say traditional. It's very nice, very, you know, two pieces. Some are three pieces. And I'll play the conga because we didn't have instruments. So I'll, I'll play the congas for praise and worship and play the congas for all the things, play 
for the choir to sing. When I finish, I come and preach. I will help with ushering. But as the church grew on and grew on, other people came to play the drums. Others came to play the congas. Till today, you must fast and pray to be selected to play an instrument in my church. You must pray. Because the people are more different sets. Beautiful. Let's allow our members to do important things. This will multiply the number of capable pastors in the ministry. And today, I came to teach you, and I'm just starting at this time, just introducing it. In the next session, which is my final session, God willing, I'm going to take it far. But I'm borrowing from a piece, from a sentence Bishop wrote. He said, I believe that many of the people I preach to can also preach. I believe that many of the people who are receiving the word now are capable of rising up into the ministry. And the word is many. Many. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I I felt that it would be very prudent to share with you today some knowledge, some working knowledge about how to multiply yourself, how to select people. Who are the people in the church who can be brought on board to work? Who are the people? Is it everybody? I wish everybody would rise up to work. But not everybody. The Bible says not all men have faith. Even though the Bible says both in Exodus and Revelations that we are a kingdom of priests. We are a kingdom of priests. Not many people want to be priests. So how do you come by people who will eventually help you? Like Uzziah was helped by men, cunning men. How does a pastor come by the people who will help him? How does a pastor come by people who will become leaders and help in the building process? How do you come by the people? Now, obviously, you can't make everybody a leader in the church. Only certain people ought to be leaders. And in the few minutes I have left, I'm going to introduce a subject I'm going to teach from this book. And that is, this book is what it means to become a shepherd, which is the term we use in our church for the workers, the leaders, those who care for people. The Lord is my shepherd. We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. 
So if you come to my church, you will hear the term sheep and shepherd. Sheep. Oh, these are my sheep. I'm a shepherd. A pastor is a shepherd. A bishop is a shepherd. Whoever, once you have got people in your care, because the people are the sheep of his pastor. So, it is very important for us to learn how to pick people in the church to help. That's how to become a thousand times more. You become a thousand times more by raising leaders. And you can't just raise anybody. Just, you just call anybody. No, that was Jeroboam's mistake. Jeroboam made that mistake. And it, the Bible says it became a sin. Please turn your Bibles. Let, let's read it. First Kings 13. First Kings 13. Verse 33. And I'm ending with this. I'm going to continue. First Kings chapter 13 and verse number 33. It says, after this thing, I'm reading 33 and 34. After this thing, Jeroboam returned not from his evil way, but made again of the lowest of the people, priests of the high places. Whosoever would, he consecrated him. And he became one of the priests of the high places. And this thing became a sin unto the house of Jeroboam, even to cut it off and to destroy it from the, off the face of the earth. This is a model that brings evil into the church. When a pastor, in a bid to have helpers, makes leaders of the lowest of people. See, when we say lowest, we don't mean people who are not educated. No. There are people with education who are very low. When we say lowest, we don't mean people who don't have money. And on and on and on. When we say the lowest, we use the word lowest because there is a set of criteria. There are people who must be workers in the church? Not everybody. No, not everybody. Not everybody. Now, now when, when in your bid to, to, to say, oh, I've got a thousand churches, I've got 500 workers, I've got those leaders, and I, I, I had a leaders meeting, and we were 6,482, and all these type of inflated numbers. In a bid to make the numbers, pastors have also, this, this this, this man was appointing priests in a shrine. But we also appoint priests in the church, appoint leaders, appoint pastors who are of the lowest. Now, as I go on with the list, you will get to know that there is a certain standard. Now, people who fall below that standard belong to the lowest. The lowest. You don't just get up to be a pastor. It's a calling. And you don't call yourself. God calls you. A church is not, it's not, it's not, it's not an, an, an employment stream. And in a bid to raise pastors, in a bid to raise leaders, we tend to appoint the lowest. Now, now, so let me get to the job. 
in this book what it means to become a shepherd. Bishop treats this topic very beautifully. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm very happy to bring it to you today. In chapter 9 of this book, he talks about 15 essential features of potential shepherds, potential pastors, potential leaders, potential workers in the church. These are 15 very essential, very necessary, very important, very important. And I'm just introducing, I'm just giving you just, just one, just one and then we'll close. Hopefully in the next session, God willing, I'm going to continue. And hopefully to finish it, I, I don't know how it will go. But I've got one more session and I'm believing God for the grace to finish it well. King Uzziah was helped, not just by anybody. Within the engineering sector, he had cunning men. Cunning men. After Judas committed suicide and they were appointing a new one, the criterion was that he should have companied with us. There is always criteria. You don't just become a Jeroboam who appoints the lowest of the people. Lowest. Lowest. There are pastors who are the lowest. Very low. Very low. And each of these 15 essential features will reveal the standard that you and I must look out for both in ourselves and in those who are going to help us. Number one, a personal relationship with God. James 4 verse 8. I'm now preaching from this book for the next three minutes. This is just an introduction. James 4 verse 8. 15 essential features of potential shepherds. Number one is that that person who will be a leader, who will be a pastor, who will serve God, should have a personal relationship with God, not just any ragamuffin. A personal relationship with God. James 4 verse 8. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded. Beautiful. Anything short of this makes the person you have selected a low person, the lowest. We look for people who draw nigh God. God, 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 God. I will advise you as a pastor, if you love your life, if you love your life, this is just free advice, you can discard it, but I'm just telling you, if you love your life, you would want to have by your side people helping you who first of all are close to God before they became close to you. Who first never select someone who is close to you, who is not close to God first. You are, you are breeding a Judas. You are breeding a rebel. You are breeding a trouble spot. You are breeding a wicked man. You are breeding a, 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 a Demas. A Demas. You see, you see I, I love what the Bible says 
about the Macedonian church? I think it is very important. While we are at it, I'm ending. Why not? Let's just um, look at it uh, in Second Corinthians. Why not? Just, just turn your Bible to Second Corinthians and let's just see um, um, what do you call it? Chapter 8. Let, let's just look at it. About the church in Macedonia. Paul was talking about them. About the grace bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. In the great trial of their affliction and the, in the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty, they abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Verse 3. For to their power I bear record. Yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. Now, now, now. Verse 4. These were very poor guys. Praying us with much entreaty that we would receive their gifts. They gave money to support other missions. But in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 8, a very important landmark criterion is put down here. He said, and thus they did. King James Version. And thus they did. Not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. No wonder these guys were amazing givers. Poor, but rich in liberality. Why? Because before they gave themselves to Paul, they had already given themselves to God. Ladies and gentlemen, a person's relationship with God is the, is, 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 is the cornerstone. It's a cornerstone of the shepherding work, of the call to serve God. Your relationship with God, not your relationship with your bishop, not your relationship with your pastor, that's very important. But you don't, I don't want anybody around me who hasn't given himself to God. No. I've seen enough. And I leave, are you, you are now coming up. Just try it. You don't believe what I'm saying. Just, just, try, just, just call the lowest of people around you. He said, without, I'm reading, without a personal relationship with God, you are going nowhere. And you cannot be a shepherd. A disciplined person who has consistent prayer and personal Bible study shows a deep relationship with God. I mean, you are, you are, you are working with somebody, you call leaders in the church, you, they don't read their Bibles, they don't have their quiet time, they don't attend prayer meetings, they are not around, and you are very happy to call them your workers and your church workers without any recourse to finding out what, what I mean, how their personal relationship with God is. You are happy they've given themselves to you. Because you and, and you don't care whether they have given themselves to God before they give themselves to you. Or like you are the main man. You are the man in town. Wow. Wow. I don't blame you. You are here to see what you must see. Never bring around people who are working in the church, helping with the work, 
in any way who haven't given themselves to God, monitor their relationship with God. Monitor it. Ask them, do they have their quiet time? Watch out for them in prayer meetings. Are they very interested in the prayer? Do they want to be around? Watch them. Watch them. Don't be happy that they always gather around you and they are around you. Sometimes ask them to quote a verse. To quote a verse. At the base of their commitment to the church should be a commitment to God. That's the base. That's the base. That's the base. Remember 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 5. They gave themselves first to God. Beautiful verse. Beautiful verse. When you find someone that for whatever reason you want the person to help you, you want the person to work with you in the church, my advice to you is that raise the person to love God first. Help him. If the person can't help himself, help him to love God. Help him to know God. Help him to become one who is, who, who is a lover of God because... Huh, Along that journey with you, a lot of things will happen which will require God's intervention. Otherwise, you will receive what you never dreamt you, you, of receiving. Have somebody who can hear from God. And not, you see, many people you call God like their feelings. What they feel to do is they say, God is leading me. God is leading me to start my own church. God is leading me to start my own ministry. God is leading me. And, and you see that it is, it, it, it is something else. It's their fleshly and human instincts they are responding to. But blessed is the pastor whose helpers know God first. Oh, he shall be great. Blessed is the pastor whose helpers mention the name of God first. Whose helpers fear God. Whose helpers love God. Blessed is the pastor. Whose helpers are thirsty for God. Whose, whose helpers are hungering after God. After righteousness. That pastor is to be envied. I pray for you. That in your branch. In your fellowship. In your small group. There will never be a day. I pray. That you will have around you. Men. Who only know how to love you, but don't know how to love God. Who only know how to draw near God, but don't know how to... Uh, who only know how to draw near you, but don't know how to draw near God. Have a barometer. Have an eye. Have an eye, oh senior pastor. The helpers around you, you must take these boxes. At least one box. What is this person's relationship with God? And I'm about to give you 15 in the next session. But right now, I believe it's time. I believe that God is saying to us today, like in Uzziah, your greatness is predicated on the helpers you can gather and mobilize around you. We cannot have a church which is a thousand times more with a superman pastor, with a one-man thousand pastor, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And it's my prayer that the principle of the multiplied senior pastor, the principle of the multiplied senior pastor,
will lead you to mobilize helpers. The way Jesus walked by the sea, went into the marketplace, went into town to mobilize 12 men. I pray that you will not stand alone. That ministry you are doing with your wife is not, it's not a family business. That ministry you are doing requires far more people than you and your wife and your firstborn son. I pray for you today that you will rise up and understand the mandate of God for your life and for the church. That we have not, we are, there is no place for us to be small. There is no place for us to stagnate. But we must go and grow from strength to strength. From power to power. From numbers to numbers. God richly bless you. And I want to say to you, as I exit, that I want to, I require you to plant a seed in this conference. God is speaking to you. And you must encourage, let's encourage Pastor Zach. Some of you can really support and take major bills of this conference. And I believe that what I'm saying is entering someone's heart directly. Yes, support him. Help him. To, to, to make this conference possible again. And God bless all those who in times past have supported Pastor Zach in this amazing conference. And I believe that even today, some of you are going to plant $1,000, $500, God did not make you what you are for nothing. He had his church in mind. When he bless you, what do you have that you did not receive? I'm speaking to you. Some of you must make pledges. Pledge today. Pledge today. Pledge today to plant a seed of a thousand seed, a thousand dollars, five hundred dollars, three hundred dollars, one hundred dollars. As I call it, you can walk up and go to the front and pick an envelope and say that I want to give. I want to support this conference. It will be a blessing to you. Not every money in your pocket must be spent. He gives bread to the eater and seed to the sower to guarantee another season of food to eat. I pray for you that your support for this conference will be great and genuine to strengthen the hand of Pastor Zach. And may God bless you. And I hope, God willing, I'll come to you again in the next session that I am bailed to speak. Till then, God bless you and God bless us all. Amen.